Welcome to the Independent Advisors Podcast, where we dive into the world of stocks, tradable markets, and financial planning with Jessup Wealth Management's Chief Investment Officer, Mark McEvely, and CEO, Matt Jessup. You'll hear tips, tricks, and strategies to address your financial well-being, and most importantly, conveyed in a way that everyone can understand. Here are your hosts, Mark and Matt. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 125 of the Independent Advisors podcast, where Matt Jessup and I, Mark McEvely, bring you everything you need to know from the past week in the world of financial markets and financial planning. So good morning, Matt. Morning, Mark. I'm ready for Turkey Day, my friend. I am, too. One of the best holidays of the year. So it is a wonderful holiday. Good food, good eating, football on, relaxing. Friends and family. Yeah, it's a good holiday. I only have one concern about tomorrow. What's that? Our UD Flyers are playing University of Miami. Yeah, I don't think that's going to go too well. Uh, I told my wife this morning, Rachel, I said one of two things is going to happen. It's either they're going to surprise everybody and completely blow them out of the water, Mm -hmm. or it's going to be an absolute murder. Yeah, it's been a disappointing start to the year for sure. Now, granted, they are young. They are young. It's a newer team getting them together, but their first couple of performances have not been what has been expected, I think. Yeah. So, and they're playing with some pretty good names in this tournament. They are. And, you know, I think the the blessing behind the scenes, I love Anthony Grant. I love mm-hmm. the coach. So that's the saving grace. He'll get him back on track. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I think in a couple of years, two, three years, I think they're going to be pretty good. So I agree. So we'll see. Agree. Um, before we begin, as always, just want to take the first few minutes to recap the performance for the month and the year of the major indexes that we track. And these numbers are as of the market close on Wednesday, November 23rd. S&P 500 index is up 1.8. Tuesday, November 23rd. Tuesday, November 23rd, because today is Wednesday, November 24th. Thank you. Um, S&P 500 index is up 1.85% for the month and up 24.88% for the year. The Dow is flat for the month and up 17% for the year. NASDAQ up 2.4% for the month and up 23.9% for the year. The IWM ETF that tracks the Russell 2000 index is up 1.45% for the month and up 18% for the year. The Vanguard International ETF, X United States, down 0.84% for the month and up 7.27% for the year. So international uh, equities continue to underperform their U.S. counterparts. I have a comment there real quick for listeners. What's happened over the past month specifically is the U.S. dollar has strengthened a good amount versus foreign currencies to give you some placement on that comment about a month ago the euro dollar was a dollar 18 to a u.s dollar it's down Mm -hmm. to a dollar 12. yeah that's a pretty big move in a month Mm -hmm. and i think it's a big reason why you're seeing international indices struggle the dollar's just been on a tear right and that means you know when the dollar strengthens that makes international profits not worth as much in their currency that's right? right so when you move the money back to the u.s you're, you're, you're moving back less dollars. dollars, right? It's so bad in some countries such as Turkey right now that there are companies such as Apple that are suspending sales. Wow. Because when they cool. convert the currency it's back nothing. to dollars, it, 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 they're losing money. Right. Pretty. That's pretty watch. wild. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the three-month T-bill currently sitting at 0.05% uh, yield, the two-year Treasury yield at 0.61%, and the 10-year Treasury yield at 1.68%. 
Uh, and before we move any further, I apologize for any hammering anyone hears in the background or just tidying up some things from this office build out. So uh, hopefully it won't be too distracting for everybody. It is not your speakers, listeners. No, it is not. Um, big news, headlines, current events from the past week. The first one is that I had shoulder surgery. That's headline number one. Yeah, for the viewers who are actually watching us on, on YouTube. You can see me in my sling with my wing here. Yep. Uh, as my brother Ryan would call it the one-armed bandit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's definitely, um, eye-opening to see what you can't do or how much longer it takes to do things with one arm. Hmm. So I have a blessing in disguise that I'm right-hand dominant and it was my left shoulder, but still takes me three to four times the amount of time to do anything these days now. Well, if Kenzie's not home and you need a Jones for a glass of wine... <laughs> I will happily come over and open a bottle for you. I actually, that's a great point. I don't think I could open a bottle of wine by myself. I wouldn't want you to. No, yeah. that wouldn't be good for you. So I got it for you. You're right down the street. I got you. <laughs> uh, so moving on to actually uh, market headlines and current events from the week. Um, there's an update on manufacturing from the Philadelphia Federal Reserve via their monthly index. The index for current general activity in the Philadelphia Federal Reserve Manufacturing Business Outlook survey rose to 39 in November, surging past expectations. That's just amazing. Um, market consensus calls were projecting an increase to 24, so way above consensus. I mean, the, anything above zero is is an increase, an acceleration in of growth over the previous month. Right. That is definitely not bearish. Right, right. Um, so the Philadelphia Fed said that general activity shipments, new orders, and price indicators were all up from October. Meanwhile, the employment index saw a decline but remained elevated. The future indexes continue to indicate that firms expect growth over the next six months, the data release said. And again, going back to the whole you know, supply chain constraints and lack of productivity and lack of workers, Matt, that's been in the headlines, you know, the market, I think, the past couple of months has been pricing in that over the next six to 12 months, things are going to get better. Yep. And what people tend to forget is what they see in the headline right now doesn't necessarily translate to what we're going to see six to 12 months from now. And that's the beautiful thing about the stock market, that it prices this information in months down the road. So that's why I think we're sitting right around all time highs is that. People are making their bets that, hey, we're going to get this figured out sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that I was um, I was addressing the board of a nonprofit that we run some money in their reserve fund in our wealth management practice. And one of the board members owns a business in town and his attitude about the market was was negative because of his issue of finding labor right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And. I think that it's very hard that when you're in those situations right now to look out past your immediate concerns one month, let alone six to nine months down the road, which is what the market tends to look at. And ultimately, I'm in this camp that I do think employment will get better over the six to nine months, meaning that the two factors it will affect, in my opinion, inflation and supply constraints. I think employment is the key in that puzzle. And I think there's a lot of people right now that are still struggling to find workers. And there's tons of reasons for that. We can debate as to why that is. But ultimately, I do see the need at the end of the day is people have bills to pay and their balance sheets are strong 
you're going to eventually see people needing to go back to work. Right. Yeah. And guess what? Even if, you know, if people are on the other side of that and they're saying, nope, I don't think people are going to go back to work. Well, you better believe that these business owners are going to figure it out and they're going to automate. They're going to implement technology to get back onto you know, to producing what they were producing before all the supply constraints, and they're going to figure it out. Oh, they will. So Absolutely. I think it's capitalism. that's, a, that's a, a pretty interesting bet if you're betting against that. Yeah. So um, the last thing I'm sure people heard that um, Johnson and Johnson, Matt, are they're splitting into two companies. So they're separating their consumer products and their pharmaceutical business. And I just thought that this tweet by Jay Woods uh, would give people a good chuckle. He said, what do you call them? Johnson and Johnson, <laughs> the two split companies. It's kind of a nerdy joke, but I thought it was comical. It was oh, it's right in my laughing wheelhouse. To myself when we I have read a secret that. Santa uh, going on right now in our office listeners. And the first gift I got was 365 dad jokes. Anyone who knows me <laughs> it is right in my wheelhouse. That is right up your alley. I got socks for my secret Santa gift. So I don't know if Jenna can get that, but I have Santa socks with Christmas trees on. If you can see that. And a Reese's cup was my first secret Santa. There you go. So why why don't you chase a car, Mark? Why don't I what? Why don't you chase a car? Is that a joke? Yeah, it is. Why don't you chase a car? Because you'll get run over. You'll get exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. While we're on the thanks or not, or just the spirit of uh, the holidays here, I have another joke for you that Megan told me the other day in our office. So, uh, if Bob Marley were still alive today, what would he be doing on Thanksgiving? I don't know. He'd be yamming. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. She said she made that up on her own. That's great. So if anyone needs jokes, uh, ask Megan in our office. Megan Coleman on it. Oh, man. Um, but yeah, going back to it. Uh yeah, J&J splitting into two companies. Also, GE, I believe, Matt, is splitting into three companies. And that, I think, was something, again, I'm not saying that I predicted this happening, but that just felt like that was oh, something that was going to happen for that company to survive. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Now, what will be really interesting with like a GE, what they end up doing with their pension liability. Yeah, that's a big concern. I mean, that's a huge concern everywhere right now. Um, did I cut you off? Go ahead. No, you could you could finish. You, I, no, I was just going to say I've been reading more and more headlines that, you know, more and more of these um, pensions, their cash levels are at record lows because they're chasing performance because their performance has been so bad that it's not going to be able to keep up with all their unfunded li- or excuse me, under all their liabilities that they have to pay out. Absolutely. You I know? mean, I'll give you a real life example, and I have the actual stats to back this up. Okay. So we'll take a government pension. I'm going to take the Ohio STRS, which is State Teachers Retirement System. Yeah. In their system, as of 2020, they have 72 cents on the dollar for all their liabilities right now. That's that's a government one. What do you how how good do you think? you know, GE is right and IBM and where this really all came into play is in the great financial crisis of 07 and 08, they passed some legislation that allowed these companies to be quote unquote underfunded and the legislation never has been changed. Right. And this is a big issue that at a certain point down the road, if one of those three GE units doesn't perform well, 
and the pension gets turned over to the PBGC, which is the Pension Benefit Guarantee Corporation, you just get whatever they have. So if they have 70 cents on the dollar, your, your, be- pension, your benefit gets cut. Your pension gets cut by 30%. So, so that's a good point. And let's just talk a little bit more about this. So, you know, if you're, let's say, a teacher, for example, and you have STRS, State Teachers Retirement System, and you have you get a certain amount of what your final average salary is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we won't go into that calculation, but you know, say you're supposed to get, you know, they're showing you if you retire and you have 35 years of service, and you're supposed to get, let's say, six thousand dollars per month. Yep. Is it true that you run the risk of having that benefit cut eventually when the pension can't pay out? the benefits anymore 100 so i think that's the risk that people take when they elect this you know single life annuity option or joint life annuity option where your pension you get monthly payments in retirement that there is a risk that that number doesn't say it for example doesn't stay at six thousand dollars per month for the rest of your life that could get cut no it's not guaranteed whereas again and we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here but there's something with STRS called a, a partial lump op, a plop, right? A yep. partial lump option payment. Plan, payment. And um, you can take a certain amount out and roll it into like an IRA and keep growing that. And at that point, that money is yours and they can't take that away from you. Correct. Anymore. So those are like the, the details that you have to go through talking to people that have pensions like teachers or government people. Um, that they have that option to put that money in an IRA. And after that money is in an IRA, that is owned by you and they can't take that back. But you have to be educated that your monthly annuity payments can get cut if the pension can't make full payments anymore. Yeah, and what's happening is, is in the reason not only STRS, but the rest of these pensions are underfunded, a big reason is people are living a lot longer, medical technology. So what's happening is, is back in the day, they made an actuarial assumption that the average life expectancy was going to be X, and guess what? It's Y. And this is a big, big problem, okay? And so going back to the the pension conversation, J&J splitting up, GE splitting up, you know, you got to be careful that all of a sudden, if you're in one of those three business units that is the one that's not doing good, and if that company, it's going to be hard for someone to acquire that company when you got that liability in the balance sheet. Right. And so what's going to happen, in my opinion, is that company better do good or ultimately you know, that that pension liability is could take one of those three entities under. I'm not saying it will, but it's definitely a risk you need to be educated on as an investor. Right, exactly. And it's just I think that there's a lack of education out there that it just says, hey, you know, you're going to get this monthly amount for the rest of your life. And that's not necessarily the case. No, I'll I'll finish this topic up um, with a real life example. Uh, We have a client that was a a truck driver for decades. That was his career. And he was a part of a small union. He received a letter about four years ago out of the blue, and they cut his pension by 60%. They just said, we've gone as far as we can go, and people are living longer than we expected. And so they just cut it to what they had in cash on hand that they could support and with very limited notice, his check got cut by 40%. Yeah, that's tough, you know. And that's that that's real life example. Yeah, and I think, you know, I and again, 
there's bad eggs in any industry, but I think our industry gets a bad rap for encouraging people to at least consider rolling over, you know, um, like a, a partial amount of that pension into an IRA. Everyone's like, oh, well, you financial advisors are so self-serving. And it's like, no, like you, you once you own that money, that's your money and no one can take it away from you. Right. But if you leave it in the pension system and they're just paying you out monthly, like you said, you can, it can get cut any time. Yeah, because someone, someone on the other side could sit there and say, well, isn't it better to let the pension uh, fund take the investment risk so you don't have to as an individual? And it's like, okay, you could look at it from that coin, but what happens when people within the fund are living longer or their returns suck? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at the returns of a lot of these pension funds, it's a joke. Yeah, it's been bad. And that's why they have to take so much risk now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so typically when you have a pension, some, t I would say the majority of the time the company will offer you a lump sum rollover that instead of the monthly payments to your bank account, you can take that lump sum amount that they're offering you and put it into an IRA so you can grow it until you retire and need the money and you can just take money from that. Um, and not a lot of people are aware of that. Yeah, I mean, you could take, take the time, the advisor is going to take the time you know, educate you on um, the expense difference or you're doing it on your own. Take time to educate yourself on the expense difference. You're going to be um, obviously responsible and in charge of the performance of that money. Mm -hmm. You know, there's risks on both sides. But I just think that the side that we're bringing up today is just not talked about enough. No, it's not. It's not. It's definitely not. It's fun how you, you just brought up J&J &J separating in two and <laughs> yeah, it went down the road the of pension the pension road. <laughs> this is why I love this podcast. <laughs> well, good. No, I'm glad that people got, you know, they got an impromptu financial planning topic of the week right there. Yeah, it's great. We don't even have to do the financial planning topic of the week Boom. now. Um, first thing I had for tweets, articles and research from the week is uh, a tweet by a guy named 10K Diver. And this was on. You give me a hard time. Oh, yeah, I know. 10K Diver. Uh, so Jenna, make a note of this. I'm not the only one following <laughs> fun people on, on Twitter. This was back on uh, November 17th. And this person said this, what people think investing is forecasting what will happen, bet on it, make money if it happens, lose money otherwise. What investing really is, face the uncertainty around forecasts, place bets that make money with high probability, no matter what happens. And I thought that that was just a really good, simple quote um, that just outlines exactly what we do for clients and you know you have to place your bets accordingly and looking back at history as long as you have a long-term time horizon don't mess with things too much yeah and you know just to build upon this this is why i prefer to invest in individual securities because when you're in and this is a purely my opinion i'm giving the disclaimer okay mm -hmm. but when you're in broad index funds or you're in broad mutual funds you're more dependent on the overall economy and the overall market. Whereas if you could be more specific, I'm relying on the underlying earnings of that specific company. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion, that gives us the better chances on a longer term time horizon, because ultimately, in my opinion, the number one driver to a stock price is correlated to its earnings or yeah. the future expected earnings. Mm -hmm. And when you're in the broad kind of index, you're in the broad kind of market, 
that's it's you're it's a lot tougher you're 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 expecting a lot more things to go right right my personal opinion yeah and i think i was reading something the other day that you know out of all of the you know economist prediction and all of like the big research firms and big banks out there no one forecasted the S&P to reach the levels that it has already so far with more than a month to go. Boom. So again, just going back to the forecasting thing, it's like we get weather forecasts all the time and it seems like it's wrong more than 50% of the time. Yeah. So, you know, it, it doesn't help, I don't think, unless you want to make this your career and you're sitting in front of a you know computer screen all day, every day, which I do not recommend. Um you know, don't worry about all this noise that happens. All you need to know is that if you look back at the history of the stock market, you stay invested, you're increasing your savings over a period of time, you're going to make money. You're going to make a lot of money. So I'm going to prove that point. Okay. I took pictures of this in case this opportunity came up on the podcast. And I'm going to verbalize a headline that was from Tuesday of this week. So yesterday, okay. the headline on CNBC was, NASDAQ 100 plummets after record rally, two traders bet on more gains ahead. And if you look at the summary, it says that the tech-heavy index fell more than 1% on Monday. Ready for this? Webster's definition of plummet. Okay? You ready for this? <laughs> A fall or drop straight down at high speed. That's not accurate. CNBC, that is. So the reason I bring this up, it's headlines like that that de that could derail someone's longer-term financial plan. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm bringing this up. So when you see that noise that you're just discussing, Mark, mm -hmm. this is the type of stuff that people see. Right, right. So again, it's just it's better to keep this stuff Plummet. simple. Don't plummet. Don't fret over plummet headlines like that. Exactly. Uh, next thing I had was a snippet from a blog post written by Ben Carlson titled is 90% in stocks too much during retirement. And this stemmed from someone writing into Ben telling him that he's retired. Okay. Um, and he has 90% of his stocks or his money invested in stocks. And, you know, the status quo is, Hey, when you're retired, there's no way you can have 90% allocation to stocks. Um, so I just wanted to read a couple things that Ben said during this. I'm salivating. He said, first things first and repeat after me, there is no such thing as a perfect portfolio. Portfolio construction boils down to your time horizon along with your willingness, need, and ability to take risk. Your age and stage in life are certainly important, but so are your circumstances. For example, an old colleague of mine helped run the family office of a billionaire who kept the bulk of his portfolio in bonds. Ooh. <laughs> He had the ability to take loads of risk, but he didn't need to take risk, nor did he want to take the risk. So he played it safe. This is an extreme example where it didn't really matter what they did with their money, but you get the idea. And my comment here, Matt, is not to let others tell you what your investment portfolio should be like. It's not their decision to make. It's your own. Yes. And, absolutely. you know, going to the example that he used there, it's like, yeah, the guy, person that or a family that has more than a billion dollars, they can be risky as heck, but they don't need to be. I mean, they could be in a 100% bond portfolio and be completely fine for generations. Yes. 
right? Absolutely. And it's all based upon how much money they need to live they want to live and what their appetite for risk is. And obviously, this family's appetite for risk was not very high, but it didn't need to be high. Yeah. So just because you're set up in retirement and maybe you have a pension, maybe you have other sorts of passive passive income coming in the door maybe as well let's say maybe you only need to take one or two percent of your total investment portfolio to help you live the way you want to live you can be more aggressive if you want sure right yeah so it's all you know i hate when people compare themselves to other people because there are so many other factors that go on when you talk about investing in a portfolio other than your age and your length away from retirement or the amount of time you have into retirement. It's a lot more than just that. Absolutely. So I don't want people to think that, you know, just because they're, you know, 90% in stocks and 10% in bonds and they're comparing to their neighbor who's 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds means that they're doing something wrong. That's not the case at all. It's just there's different risk levels and different goals and objectives at play there that you don't have the full picture on. So just don't compare yourself to other people. Absolutely. And the other big misconception that I run across a ton, I know you do too, is someone who's a pre-retiree thinking that their allocation or risk levels drastically going to change when they're no longer working. Yeah, it's not. Not true. No, it's not, not true, true at all. Yeah. Again, it could have been true possibly when bonds interest, were yielding yeah, 7, 8%. 7 to 10%, right? <laughs> and that, Okay, so that's the other thing that's kind of grinds my gears right oh, now go, is Jenna. that everyone is everyone's complaining about um you know higher like uh costs and stuff and and you know bonds not paying enough to yield income but we're also at a point in history where borrowing money has never been cheaper true so when interest rates are low it's super cheap to borrow money and go do things that you want to do with it buy a vacation property, make home improvements, go down the line. The flip side of that is that when interest rates are high, you get more income on your fixed income investments, but but it's more expensive to borrow money. I just like people aren't talking about that. So it's like there's pros and cons with this stuff. And all you see is that you can't find any yield anywhere. It's like, yeah, that's true. But because of that, it's super easy to borrow money and do things with it right now. Absolutely. And first of all, no one's forcing you to buy that bond. No, no one's forcing you to buy that bond. No. So I don't know. I just, it's just that's the next one of the things I want. that was. That's the next T-shirt I want. <laughs> it was just one of those things that I was thinking about the other day. I'm like, you know what? There is like a positive side to low interest rates. And that's, you know, you can borrow money super cheap. Go get a house, get a mortgage that's really cheap. And you're giving up the the income, you know, that we saw 10, 20 years ago from bonds, but it's not all bad. No, I mean, I've had um, a lot of clients who have taken the flip side and said, well, I'm going to do a home reno. And instead of me just paying cash, I'll do a home equity line of credit and I'll systematically pay it off over three, four or five years and slowly take that money out of the account rather than just taking a big one-time taxable event, Mm -hmm. realizing gains, and with rates as low as they are, not a bad idea. Right, exactly. And again, it's one of those things where a lot of people are going to say, you know, financial advisors are self-serving because they're encouraging people to take on more debt to keep their money invested so they can charge a fee on it. But if you just look at the, the numbers, it just makes sense. 
You know, if you could at get these levels, you can yeah. get an auto loan to get a new car at two and a half percent. Why would you take out fifty thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars, pay taxes on it, and not have that money invested anymore? I mean, what is the return of the market's I'd, been I'd over the past ten years? I'd rather you take the loan out two and a half, just take a systematic monthly withdrawal, make the car payment over three, four, five years. It just makes sense. So sorry for the rant. I love uh, the rant. <laughs> I'll turn it over to you. All right, I got two things this week, but in my opinion. They're very meaningful. Okay. The first one, and I promise all the listeners and viewers right now, I came up with this before the headlines this week about oil. I prepped this last week. Okay. Okay. So the first thing I have is an update on oil and supply and demand. I had this last week. My office is bugged. Okay. (laughs) The source is Bespoke Investment Group. Okay, the date was November 18th. Now, there's a chart here about production versus world consumption, world supply of oil. Okay, now, before I discuss the chart, Mark, will you remind listeners and viewers how they could access our show notes? Yeah. So if you go to at Jessup Wealth on Twitter or Jessup Wealth Management on LinkedIn or Facebook. So you will find this chart. Or excuse me, Meta. No. Meta. I, yeah, meta. 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 My apologies. You should be. <laughs> political correct. Not political so correct. this chart goes back five years. And what it does, again, is it shows world consumption of oil and world supply. Now, I'm going to read what Bespoke had here. Okay. Quote, that said, recent data suggests a move towards a more balanced crude market despite the fact that U.S. shale patch is not ramping up rigs quickly. As shown on the right, the EIA estimates for total supply and demand of liquid fuels are nearing demand as of October. Of course, these estimates could be revised, but it does seem as if the global deficit has started to close thanks to ramped up production, slower consumption growth since September, end quote. Now, what the chart shows is that supply is picking up and consumption's kind of tailing off and they're reaching a point of equilibrium, Mm -hmm. okay? So, Mark, this could be something to watch over the coming months and could help slow down the year-to-date gains in oil prices. I found it interesting. And what happened this week? You know, the 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 Biden administration, well, when uh, Biden got into office, had put in place a lot more tougher EPA standards for oil drilling. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot more costly and tenuous for someone to now drill compared to the Trump administration. Mm-hmm. OK, so that's a big factor at play. Mm -hmm. that no one's really talking about. So now you fast forward to this week, they're going to release some oil from the The strategic oil reserves. Mm -hmm. But it's really more of a political headline because it only equals about three days of total U.S. consumption of oil. And the bigger issue is that refineries. We haven't had a new oil refinery built in the U.S. in decades. And a lot of it has to do with both Republican and Democrat, their um, 
um, rules in regards to building a new one. It's so hard with, with the cost effectiveness, they would mm -hmm. lose money. Yeah. Okay. With that being said, you could release all the oil you want, but the bottleneck is refineries mm -hmm. and no one's talking about that. Yeah. And this is under Trump. This is under Bush. This is under Obama. This is agnostic on political. Mm -hmm. The issue is the refineries. You could only refine it so quick. Right. So you can release all the oil you want, have the headline that we're doing something. That's not going to do anything. Mm -hmm. So when you look at consumption and supply, we're actually getting close to an equilibrium. That, in my opinion, gives us the best opportunity to start to get some caps in these in these in these prices. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the you know, the funny thing is everyone's complaining about, you know, gas prices right now. And it's like, OK, you know, what can everyone do to make gas prices come down? Use it's it like, less. Use it less. Not travel as much. Not go places. But people don't want to do that. They don't want to. They don't want to change their life to to bring down gas prices. They want someone else to fix it for them. It's kind of like the billionaires going to a climate summit and they take and a, a private, private jet. jet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just because that's one way to do it: just supply and demand. If there's not as much demand for it, then you know prices are going to come down. The other the other topic here is, Mark. What is the cure for high oil prices? High oil prices. It is because what happens is it reaches a point of price where it where makes sense like, for that driller to be like, I am going to have another rig. Right. Right. And and it'll reach a price eventually where some people will eventually be like, all right, screw it. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut back on my travel. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to pay these prices. I'm going to cap the rig right now. Right. I, I, the price has gotten too low and it works the other way. What's the cure for low oil prices? Low prices. Low, right. Because drillers will sit there and say the labor I'm paying it doesn't make sense for me to take the oil out of the ground. I'm stopping this rig for the time being. Mm -hmm. So the market will find its equilibrium. And I'm just pointing out with supply and demand, we're getting close to that point, at least on paper. Yeah. Yep. Found it interesting. Very. Hashtag facts. <laughs> All right. You should start your own fact checking service. <laughs> Related to the markets. Jessup's fact checking service. <laughs> Jeez. All right. I got one more for the listeners. Health of the American consumer. So I'll say it again. Health of the American consumer. I'm putting more data behind it. I don't think there's anyone that loves healthy American consumers more than Matthew I Jessup. eat it up. I, I eat do it too. I do. It's great. That's great. All right. So I'm putting facts behind it. Argus Research, November 19th. Okay. They had a daily spotlight in their um, daily research note that caught my eye. I'm going to share this. Okay. Uh, Jenna, is this piece in our show notes? So this one also is in our show notes for you listeners. You're going to see the chart, uh, and you're going to see exactly what I'm about to read here. I'll go through it, Mark, and then I want your response. Quote, combination of pandemic-related factors such as economic shutdowns and aggressive fiscal spending have resulted in a sharp improvement in household finances. The Federal Reserve keeps track of household debt service payments as a percentage of disposable personal income. The metric, obviously the lower the better mark, has fallen from 9.9% prior to the pandemic to a current level of 9.2%. During the depths of the pandemic when households were receiving stimulus checks while sheltering in place, i.e. not spending money, the ratio dropped to 8.4%. The average debt level since 1980 has been around 11%. 
The high water mark was established during the Great Recession, fourth quarter of 07 to be exact. It was 13.2%. This is Argus saying this. We, i.e. Argus Research, would not be surprised to see households take on a bit more debt in the coming quarters as pent-up demand subsides and consumer confidence improves while the unemployment rate declines. We think the sound condition of household finances is an important indicator signaling that GDP growth, gross domestic product growth, should remain positive in 2022. Now, why do you think I'm highlighting this? Well, number well, the first thing I was going to I was getting ready to call you out, but then I looked and saw that it is showing, you know, that as a percentage of disposable income and not just showing debt. Yes. Right. Because how much that's, they're paying to service the debt. Correct. Yeah, because that's that's a that's a chart crime showing household debt levels, not relative to disposable income. Yes. And so I'm talking about this from a cash flow perspective. Mm hmm. This is this is good news. It's good news. It's very good news. Right. And it goes back to our conversation of what's the benefit of having lower interest rates. People can take on more debt and it's not going to be as big of a hit to them. And here's the other factor. Think about it in the realm of the stock market. Think of things that the consumer wants right now. What's in demand? Where do you think the puck is going? Because the profile of the American consumer looking back decades on paper with wage gains, their balance sheets, it's the best it's going to get for, I think, some time. And isn't it funny that we're hitting, I mean, since 1980, lows in debt as a percentage of disposable income when we're getting the biggest inflation that we've seen in some time? Maybe that means that the average American consumer can handle higher prices. Yeah. And, right? you know, I would, I personally, I'd rather have inflation than deflation. Yeah, I would too. You know, you want to talk about problems with deflation? Talk mm. to someone mm. who lives in Japan. Right. Okay. They've been in a deflationary environment for decades mm -hmm. and it's a problem for them. Yeah. It's a problem. Absolutely. But I, I look at this and, you know, I, I relate this to the market. You know, you listeners, you know, when you're, when you're investing, you know, this is a good time to be thinking about companies that sell a product to a consumer. Think of the ones that are in demand that have access to supply or maybe ones that have supply constraints, which ones you think are going to come back quicker than others because the consumer wants to buy. It's just that he or she is having problems accessing the goods right now. Right. Exactly. So this this is bullish. This yeah, is something is not appreciated. And this is one of those things. People are looking out multiple quarters. This is a tailwind. Right. This is a tailwind. Right. Yeah. And again, it's this is this is good news. This is good news. Yep. Back to you. Um, the financial planning topic of the week comes from a article written by the Plan Corp Women's Initiative titled What to Know About 2021 Year End Tax Planning. Nice. So I wanted to touch on four key points they made uh, to help people kind of think about how they can reduce their taxable income before the year is over. Very timely. Very timely. I thought so, too. 
So that's it for that topic, Mark. I'll send it back to you for the financial planning topic of the week. Yeah, we're uh, we're kind of bumping up against our time here, uh, Matt, and want to give people the opportunity to enjoy their Thanksgiving holiday. Right. So uh, we'll keep it here for now, and then we'll just bump the financial planning topic of the week to next week. I think we're recording next Thursday, and it's going to be uh, some tips to talk about for 2021 year-end tax planning. So we'll kick the can on that till next week. Perfect. Well, I... That's all I have for the week. Hope everyone has a good turkey day. Yeah. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. I hope you enjoy the weekend with uh, friends and family. And we'll be back on episode number 126 next week. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to the Independent Advisors podcast. If you're interested in hearing more, hit the subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode gets released. Feel free to share with friends, family, and follow us on Twitter at Jessup Wealth, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Mark and Matt will continue to share beneficial information on these social media sites. Also, check out the podcast tab on their website. That's www.jessupwealthmanagement.com. There you'll find links to every episode of the Independent Advisors. Have questions or topics you want to discuss on the show? Message us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or send an email with the words questions and topics in the subject line to inquiries at jessupwealthmanagement.com. We'll talk about it right here on the podcast. Certain sections of this commentary may contain forward-looking statements based on reasonable expectations, estimates, projections, and assumptions. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance and involve certain risks and uncertainties, which are difficult to predict. All indices are unmanaged and are not available for direct investment by the public. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and does not constitute either tax, legal, or financial advice. Although we do go to great lengths to make sure our information is accurate and useful, we recommend you consult a tax preparer, professional tax advisor, financial advisor, or lawyer regarding your specific circumstances. Investing involves risk, including the loss of principal. No strategy can guarantee any objective or goal will be achieved. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor.